Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning desperate to hear your word. Your word is life-giving. It is powerful. Pray that you might work in our hearts, that we might be like the people of Israel who upon finding the word of God after it had been hidden from them for hundreds of years were on the edges of their seat longing to hear your word. Would you make that our posture this morning as we study your word? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 117. Psalm 117. As you're turning to Psalm 117, think about times in your life when you have heard the phrase, a little goes a long way. Maybe it's been in the context of baking, and you don't need to put a ton of yeast into the dough because a little goes a long way. The power of the yeast means you don't need a lot of it to make the bread rise. Or maybe you're working with a peculiarly powerful chemical and you don't need a ton of that chemical because a little goes a long way. Recently, I've been fascinated with learning more about the world's hottest peppers, not because I myself am a fan of hot peppers, but because that level of hotness fascinates me. The potency of what makes a pepper hot. And I found out that the world's hottest pepper right now is called Pepper X. This is not anything like a a jalapeno or a habanero. This is not something that you would find in Texas peat. It's not even like a cayenne pepper or a ghost pepper. Eating a Pepper X pepper is something you will feel the effects of for up to six hours after you eat it. There is this burning and cramping and heat and sweat that you will feel for six hours after you eat it. For comparison, a habanero pepper can range anywhere from 200,000 to 350,000 Scoville units. Scoville units are the units used to measure hotness in a pepper. 200 to 350,000. That seems like a lot. Pepper X, its hotness is 2.6 million Scoville units. It is over eight times hotter than in habanero pepper. So you think to yourself, man, this pepper must be huge, but a Pepper X pepper is that big. For all of its heat, it is small in size. It is potent, yet it is very small. So it is with the message of our text this morning in Psalm 117. Psalm 117 is small in size, but it has a potent message. We might be tempted to come to this short psalm and skip over it. Maybe you even had trouble finding it because it's only two verses. Maybe we might skip over it in favor of a a better psalm, a psalm that has more length to it or more detail to it. We might think to ourselves, what's the point of having such a brief psalm in the Bible? 
Do we really need Psalm 117? Is there something peculiar that Psalm 117 has to offer that we couldn't find in one of the other 149 psalms? I think we'll see this morning that we do need Psalm 117. Psalm 117 is in our Bible because it helps us, it points us to God, it tells us about how great our God is. Psalm 117 is concise and its aim is simple. It wants to encourage the nations to praise God. But as we think about the truth in Psalm 117, this succinct psalm has a big message for us. The big idea of Psalm 117, the main idea of Psalm 117 is this. God's great mercy and everlasting truth are grounds for publicly praising him. God's great mercy and everlasting truth are grounds for publicly praising him. You're in Psalm 117. Follow along as I begin reading Psalm 117. Verse 1 says this. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud Him, all you peoples. For His merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord! And that's it. Short, sweet, succinct. The message is God's great mercy and everlasting truth are grounds for publicly praising Him. In this text, the psalmist shines a spotlight, as it were, on God's grace demonstrated to the people of God. But grace doesn't show up at all in the text. Or does it? As we consider the merciful kindness of God, or maybe you're reading another translation that says the steadfast love of God, as we consider the truth of the Lord or the mercy of God, It's important for us to remember that God doesn't owe either of these things to anyone. Neither Israel nor the nations deserve God's mercy or truth. It's all by God's grace. It is all his unmerited favor towards sinners. And that's important for us to keep at the front of our minds as we look at this passage. There are two points that we'll see from Psalm 117 this morning that will guide our time together. The first point is God's grace described. God's grace described. We see that in verse 2. In verse 2, the psalmist describes the magnitude and the duration of God's grace. How big is it? How long does it last? His merciful kindness toward us or his steadfast love toward us, it is great. It is by no means ordinary or average. And here's why that's important. Because if the people of God are to praise him for his merciful kindness towards them, then God's merciful kindness needs to be greater in magnitude than the people's sin against God. Why would God call them to praise him for something that is underwhelming? Why should they praise God for something that is average or ordinary? But if God's merciful kindness is great, if it prevails, if it conquers sin, 
than it is worth praising God for. And we see from the Old Testament, from the Bible as a whole, that our sin is, is not small. The Old Testament testifies to the seriousness of sin, even among the people of Israel. Amos 5 verse 12 says this, For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. These things are not few and far between. They are manifold and they are mighty. Friend, our sin is great. Consider how often, though, we try to downplay the greatness or the magnitude of our sin against God. How often do we overlook a prideful reaction, a selfish response, or living in our own strength? We look at those things and we, that's eh, not that big of a deal. As we approach Black Friday, how easy will it become for us to overlook the sins of covetousness and greed in our life? Will we, in the name of bargain hunting, engage in idolatry? Our sin is great if we are honest with ourselves. Everywhere we look, we see how great our sin is. It's large. Brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't it easy for us to gossip about and speak evil towards those who are fellow image bearers and not see that for the serious sin that it is? We belittle our brothers in Christ. We speak sacrilegiously towards our sisters in Christ and we just overlook it. We are in need of the great grace that God offers. Kids, you may compare yourself to your siblings or friends and think you're not that bad. You might say, well, at least I haven't done that. At least I haven't been caught for cheating on this. I'm in good shape. But kids, we are all sinners. Whether it's lying about whether you finished your homework, boasting about an accomplishment you achieved, or talking back to mom and dad. Your sin is just as serious as your friends or siblings. You can compare yourself to them all you want to, but that doesn't minimize the greatness of your own sin. Resist the temptation to downplay your own sinfulness. Our sin is great indeed. However, Verse 2 describes God's merciful kindness as great toward us. The greatness of God's mercy in the gospel prevails towards us. It is greater. Our great sin is no match for the great mercy of God. William Plummer notes this, No man needs more grace than the gospel offers. As you sit here this morning, there is not a need that you have that the gospel does not meet in terms of needing grace. God doesn't offer any less or any more grace than you need through the gospel. That is good news. That is grace that conquers our sin. This description of the magnitude of God's mercy is coupled with the duration of God's truth. We see that also in verse 2. The truth of the Lord endures forever. It lasts forever. 
His faithfulness lasts forever. God's grace toward us is not mighty for a moment. It's not a fad that will go out of style. It's not a one-hit wonder that no one will know in 20 years. It will outlast our sinfulness. But not just our sinfulness. Remember, these words were to be sung by the Israelites. The Israelites who time and time again refused to obey God. The Israelites who stubbornly forsook the covenant God made with them. Those people are the very ones called to affirm that God's truth endures forever. That his faithfulness endures forever. His word will not fail. His promises will not return empty because his truth endures forever. Consider a few places where these ideas of God's merciful kindness and his truth are mentioned elsewhere in the Old Testament. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, we read that the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Here in Exodus 34, we see God revealing himself to Moses, and the two things that rise to the top are his mercy and grace, his long-suffering, his kindness. He's abounding in goodness and truth. Psalm 57, verse 3 says, God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. And then David in verse 10 says, For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Psalm 100, verse 5, For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. This description of God's grace ought to cause us to stop and be amazed by it. Friend, how often are you astounded and overwhelmed by the grace of God in your life? Remember God's great grace serves as the grounds for publicly praising him. Why should we praise God? Because of how great his grace has been to us. Because of how long his grace will endure to us. The potency of this psalm is that this description of God's grace is simple yet deeply profound. I'd encourage you this afternoon, start recounting the ways that God has shown you grace. Where has he shown you his great merciful kindness and his everlasting truth over the last year? How has he demonstrated his steadfast love to you? How has he shown himself faithful to you over this last year? Take some time this afternoon and write some of those things down. And then come back tonight and join us in praising God together again. And when you leave, go home and continue doing that. And you know what you'll find? You're not going to run out of material. You will never exhaust the greatness of the grace that God has shown you. This is a simple yet profound truth. But not only is God's grace described, second, we see God's grace praised. 
God's grace praised. It is praised by the people of God. But does it strike you as odd that this psalm begins in verse 1 with a call for all the Gentiles and all the peoples to praise the Lord? The psalms on either side of this one are, are, more, what me, are more what we might expect. If you look at Psalm 118, just a, a few verses later in your Bible, let Israel now say his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say his mercy endures forever. Why in the world does Psalm 117 say that the Gentiles and the peoples are to praise the Lord? Even if you go back and look at the end of Psalm 116, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. The oddness of this psalm is only elevated when we notice the shift from all you Gentiles and all you peoples in verse 1 to us in verse 2. Do you see that? This shift builds on a theme in the Old Testament that one day there is coming a time when both Jews and Gentiles would be included in the people of God. This is a globally oriented psalm. Why is this psalm so globally oriented? Because God's merciful kindness and everlasting truth are globally oriented. They're not localized. They're not restricted. They are globally oriented. This idea goes all the way back to the covenant that God made with Abram back in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, we read, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Through the covenant that God made with Abram and the people of Israel, God promised to bless all the families of the earth. And it is through the promises made to Israel that God will eventually cause the families of the earth to be a part of the people of God. The promise of the Messiah who would crush the head of the serpent is what ultimately leads to the offer of salvation to all people. Jesus accomplishes the reality of this psalm by his perfect sacrifice through his death, burial, and resurrection. What Psalm 117 prefigures, Christ fulfills. We see this reality when John writes in Revelation 7, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This psalm succinctly ties together the covenant made to Abram in Genesis 12. It ties together the revelation of God to Moses in Exodus 34, and we see those things fulfilled in the person and work of Christ. 
How are the families of the earth to be blessed? Through the God who is abounding in steadfast love. Through the God who is gracious and kind. Through the God who is abounding in mercy. And one day, Psalm 117 looks ahead to when all of the peoples will praise the Lord for His merciful kindness and His truth. For they are great indeed. We look forward to that day when we will join that great multitude in praising Jesus Christ. Friend, are you looking forward to that day? We will one day praise Jesus Christ to the Lamb around His throne and we will affirm with that countless multitude, salvation belongs to our God. We have benefited from the work and the grace of Christ. How does Psalm 117 help us until that day when we're gathered around the throne? How does it help us now until that day comes when we find ourselves surrounded by that countless multitude? First, this Old Testament text helps establish the foundation for unity in the New Testament church. Paul quotes Psalm 117 in Romans 15. In Romans 15, as he comes to the end of his letter to the Romans, Paul is encouraging Jews and Gentiles to receive one another. He's just demonstrated through the bulk of Romans all of the grace that God has shown both to Jew and Gentile. How he has justified them through the sacrifice of Christ. And they have peace with God. He's told them that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And here in Romans 15, as he winds down his letter, he writes this in Romans 15, verse 7. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then he proceeds to quote four Old Testament texts. One of them is Psalm 117.1. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And he concludes in verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Spirit. Friend, Psalm 117 provides grounds. It provides a foundation for us to be united as a church. The Jews and Gentiles had very little in common. They came from two very different walks of life, two different societies and cultures. On what basis should they receive one another and get along? On what basis should you and I receive one another and get along? It is the unity that Jew and Gentile have in Christ because of God's mercy and truth. And it is that reality that serves as the grounds for their unity on this earth in the church. We look back at what God has promised. We look ahead to what's to come and that serves as the basis for us to be united as a church on this earth as we wait for Christ's return. The second way, though, that this text is important for us is this text points us to the gospel. 
it whets our appetite for Christ's work of redemption. Consider these words from Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy, we've heard that before, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Psalm 117 points us to the gospel. We see the merciful kindness of God. We see the truth of the Lord that endures forever. Unsaved friend, maybe you sit here this morning and you are skeptical at the offer of salvation Jesus offers. You are pessimistic about that, cynical towards it even. I want to invite you this morning to confess your sins and trust in Christ for salvation. God wants you to experience his great grace in your life. No matter how wretched or shameful your sin may be, maybe that's what gives you pause. However wretched it may be, God's grace is greater in magnitude and duration. It is more powerful and it will outlast your sin. So will you trust in Christ today for salvation? Will you turn from your sin and trust in him? He offers life to you. He offers forgiveness to you. Will you take it? Saint, have you considered the great grace and mercy of Jesus Christ to you recently? As we approach Thanksgiving, often our thoughts go towards gratitude, right? And, and everybody starts either posting on social media or coming up with things they're thankful for. Maybe you even have a tradition around the Thanksgiving table where you as a family go around and you share things that you are thankful for. What about this year taking time not just to recount the stuff that God has given you this year, but taking time to recount how much of himself God has given you. Recounting the grace, the mercy, the kindness, the truth that God has demonstrated to you this year. Consider the magnitude of his grace in your life. And you'll be overwhelmed. You will be compelled, like this psalm compels us to, to praise the Lord. That's, that's the opening tone and that is the closing tone. Ultimately, Psalm 117 points us to the grace of God so that our hearts might respond. This is not merely an intellectual psalm. This is not something where we walk away and we can pass a test. Psalm 117 is going toward our heart. Where does praise come from? It doesn't come from our brain. It comes from our heart. So as we see the merciful kindness of God, as we know the truth of God that endures forever, what, what will happen in our heart? Our heart will respond with overwhelming thanksgiving and praise. 
And it won't just be this Thursday that we'll be filled with thanksgiving and praise, but every day of our lives. Because each day, his mercies are new. Each day we arise, there is more merciful kindness for us to praise God for. Saints, let the great grace of God serve as the grounds for publicly praising him. Let that be the basis. As you consider his merciful kindness, as you consider the truth that lasts forever, let that grace serve as the grounds for publicly praising him. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess that your grace is great towards us. We confess that the truth of the Lord endures forever. That the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. We affirm that in our finite abilities we are unable to give you the praise that you are due. So help instead, Father, help us to to dedicate our lives to praising you. May we not just praise you one day out of 365, but may we echo the words of this psalm. May we praise you. May we laud you. May we extol you. Thank you so much for the grace that you have shown us through Jesus Christ. Help us to be aware of that and to praise you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.